Hello, you're listening to the Wheel Talk Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. We are here to talk about all things women's professional cycling. I'm joined by, as ever, the lovely Gracie Elvin. Gracie, hello. Hello. Hello, everybody. I have seen on social media that you're getting your hair ready for commentating on the Tour de France. It looks (laughs) gorgeous. (laughs) Well, as you know, like hair is the most important thing for TV. So I'm good to go now. (laughs) I don't have to do any homework apart from that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Matt Deneef, who's maybe a little less concerned about his hair. I don't know. I don't know how you roll. Yeah. No, that's that's a fair assumption. Um, Thanks for having me back. We are going to chat Tour de Suisse. A little bit of national championship action happened this week before we recorded. And also we've got a ton of listener questions again. And so we'll get to one or two of them at the end of the episode. This episode of the Wheel Talk podcast was made possible because of the generous support from our members. Monthly memberships start at just eleven ninety nine, or you can save 30% on an annual payment. For more information, head on over to escapecollective.com slash join. That's escapecollective.com slash join. And that really makes what we're doing here possible. The, the members of the Escape Collective are why we're here, able to do what we do. So think about joining if you're not a member. If you are, thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. A special shout out to a couple of our lifetime members, Samuel Nugent, Michael Hecht, Peter Snoblin, Eric Wang, and Brandon Conan. Conan? Again. Dane gives me names. I don't know how to pronounce any of them, so I'm so sorry. But I'm really, really thankful to the five of you, plus everyone else who signed up as lifetime members of the Escape Collective. You have access to escapecollective.com for life. How exciting is that? Thank you so much to our lifers, but also to every member. It really means a lot that you've supported us. Should we just dive right in? We'll dive right into the Tour de Suisse. We'll start with stage one. This is how we're going to do it. Stage one was very short, 56 kilometers long and lumpy, kind of similar to last year. Elise Shabby went on a doomed solo move for pretty much the entire stage and was brought back in the final three kilometers. It was won by SD Works Blanca Voss, her first world tour win, a theme for the week, kind of two out of two, but we'll get to it. And yeah, uh, Arlena Sierra finished second, um, which is another great result for her. I think she's she's proved over and over that she's a really exciting rider to watch on Movistar, and she did so again this week. But the first stage kicked off four days of exciting, exciting racing. I think just on Sierra, I think she's still such an underrated rider for what she's done. Uh, you know, she hasn't got a, a huge stack of massive wins, but she's so consistently thereabouts and i think it won't be that long before we see another big win from her but yeah what two second places for the week from her i i think she gets written off because of the team she's on because there's so many good riders on that team but she's just one of the good riders i think she gets kind of pigeonholed into working for other riders like obviously on but with the addition of liana lippard and floydie mckay i think she's even more kind of been forced into that domestique role but i think like she's got so much potential and she always has i mean gracie talks about her all the time <laughs> uh i i definitely i want to before we talk much more about the stage one i do want to just set the tone with 
the the very tragic passing of the male cyclist in the Tour of Swiss, uh, Gino Meadow. I think that was just like just hit the peloton so hard and hit the cycling world so hard and you know, so many good outpouring of messages and condolences and just disbelief and um, just very unfortunate circumstances. But you could just, I don't know, if that was going through um, Alicia Bay's head in that first stage, but it felt like she was just riding with just that little bit more energy, a bit more passion or something. I don't know, I think as a another Swiss, Swiss rider, they were just... I just can't imagine how that would have felt on the day on the ground there in the peloton. And it was cool to see, um, you know, Alicia Bay's already such a good rider in the peloton as is Marlene Russo. And they kind of just, it was kind of like them battling it out a bit that day too. And it was, it, yeah, I think that was a really nice show of respect, I guess, if nothing else. Yeah. A really tragic thing to happen and you like cycling is a dangerous sport but you never think that something like that is going to happen I was maybe a little bit surprised to see the race go ahead but I think like for a rider they would never want a race cancelled on their behalf it's a tough situation I think yeah I think in general it's the the right thing or the okay thing I don't know if there's a right thing in that situation but I think it's okay to hold the race Maybe if the family and close loved ones of Gino, you know, thought that that was still appropriate. I think if they felt strongly about it, otherwise that's when you have a good look at it. But I think, you know, keeping the race flame alive was a nice way for people to process it in their own way. Yeah, I noted um, Marlon Russo talking after the time trial. She had some nice words to say about Gino and said that she found herself instinctively taking it a bit easier on the descents the previous day and I guess throughout the race as a whole and yeah not too surprising really I'm sure she wasn't alone in that um you know I think anybody that saw that news and then got on a bike in the days after professional or otherwise probably you know had that in their head and took it a bit easier and yeah just a horrible thing and really feel for everyone that that knew him and was close to him and I think for like Chavez, she still had an incredible race that day. I think everyone would have wanted to see her take that victory given the circumstances and also her as a rider. She's always been such an exciting rider to watch and she won the very first stage ever of Tour de Suisse when it first started against Lizzie Dagnan. And so for her to have won, it would have been a really incredible moment, but it was still pretty exciting to see Blanca Voss take the win, given she's never won a world tour race. She's been, you know, at the top of the cyclocross sport for a really long time. And this move to SD Works, I think, was maybe, you know, a little bit odd at the time, given that they they she was mostly a cyclocross rider that hadn't really dabbled much on the road um but this was a great move for her and i think just like adds to the depth of sc works that uh, they don't need any more of but still have <laughs> i was surprised to learn that it was her first pro victory on the road outside of hungarian titles i thought she'd won something for sure that she'd she'd been up there a bunch of times but uh yeah, never taken a win. So 
It's kind of funny. I think you wrote during the week, Abby, that now more than half of the SD Works team has won a race this season. It kind of reminds me of like being in primary school or whatever. And I don't know if you guys had this, but like collecting footy stickers or whatever sports stickers they were you get like a a book with all the players <laughs> and you collect the stickers and you need to fill them in you're trying to collect the set it almost feels like sd works is doing that you know everyone's <laughs> got to get their win this season and gee, wouldn't wouldn't back against them i don't think <laughs> i like that um it, it is it does seem like that doesn't it i just love that they are giving so many riders so many opportunities and not just uh being like this is our plan a these are our top three or four riders and that's always plan A. I think that's, you know, that's the safe conservative team plan that you see a lot of teams sticking to. And in some ways they have to because their best riders are so much better than everyone else. But, um, yeah, like to see um, them all quite versatile in their roles I think is also really interesting and, and motivating to watch to see Marlon Rosa and Demi Vollering jumping between leadership and support riders, doing super lead outs, ripping it when they're trying to pull stuff back, then winning. Like I, I think that that is also really cool. It's not just the riders that are winning, it's how they do it. I think a lot of other teams could maybe learn from letting their their younger riders or their domestiques kind of try to go for it. Maybe that's one of the reasons that other teams just like can't figure out how to beat SC works. Cause like, if you look at their biggest rival, arguably Trek Segafredo, their, their biggest upset win of the year, granted SC works didn't have their A team there, but still at Trofeo Fredo Benda when they let Shirin kind of go for it. And she wouldn't have been their top rider on the day. I think they were, they were riding for Balsamo that day, but they still, you know, went a little bit rogue with the team plan and it worked out in their favor. And I think that they could potentially, more teams could do that. And maybe we would have a little bit more even of a fight on our hands. I don't know. The question of how to beat SD Works, I like. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I hope someone finds out soon. Yeah, I don't think that's our job to answer that question. But yeah, going back to what you were saying, Abby, I really like that um they're they're allowing those riders to gain that experience and i i I can't remember if i've talked about it already on the podcast but it's just like something i was quite passionate about when i was racing was trying to like it was mostly the argument i had with the directors of like how do we get everyone to have a shot at understanding what it feels like to have the pressure and executing on that pressure and doing it at small races is the best way to do it. And the argument for having second tier races, not just for developing teams, but also for developing riders in good teams is that they are allowed to go to races that are not world tour or in this case, aren't as prestigious in the world tour and they can have the pressure. They know about it for most of the season that that's their race, that's their responsibility to prepare for and the team will back them. So they have to show up to the race in good form and mentally they have to be prepared to win and they have to pick that stage that suits them and execute or not, like that is the golden opportunity for you to learn how to be a winner. And that was just something that I wished we could have seen more (laughs) when I was racing in our team because sometimes like, and, and Lizzie Dignan said it 
in that really nice interview that they did as a highlight for her with the track team of like one day you'll be in the breakaway and that breakaway is going to be given a chance to win by the peloton and how do you win in that situation and not just be a support rider and I think that's what SD works are doing like quite consistently now is they're taking teams and riders to win at races maybe it wasn't their plan in that meeting the night before but the way that they're they still have that empowerment in the team that they can still be versatile on the day and be adaptable. I think that that um, it's not just about their uh, physical talents that they've been signed for. It's the way that that culture is developed and uh, consistently enacted in that team. I think that's why they get so many good results. Yeah, I have to. I haven't. I haven't ridden in pro teams before, obviously, but I have to imagine that giving those second tier riders a chance to go for the win builds greater cohesion in the team as well because they you know they have their leaders the team leaders in quotes riding for them um and then you know it kind of i guess builds a sense of you know you got the leaders riding for them so then they're probably more inclined to to put themselves on the line even more the next time they're back in that support role and vice versa i have to imagine it's kind of a synergistic thing that brings everyone closer together and only benefits the team as a whole uh, before before we get into the finish, because I want to talk specifically about like the final 3K, have you guys, speaking of SC Works and team cohesion, there's like rumors floating around that Kapeki might leave the team early. You guys heard these rumors? No, that's a good one. Some gossip there. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> like, sure, <laughs> you'd heard them. But yeah, I don't know. There's, there's rumors flying. Um, I keep seeing it like on Twitter and stuff that that she's entertaining the possibility of other teams that are interested in her, which I find super fascinating because obviously she, there's like inter-team drama. We all saw it, even if they're trying to say that it's not real. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting. It it does go to show if it is true, like maybe it's not, maybe it's just Twitter gossip that's run rampant, but um, that like not everyone who SC work signs fits into that mold and is able to flourish in that environment. Like I remember Katie Hall, when she signed for Bulls Dolman's like an incredible, incredible rider, but she didn't quite fit with the culture of the team. And so she didn't excel there. Um, like it, it's not, it doesn't work for everyone, but when it does work, it works really well. Like Demi is a perfect, an interesting rumor. We'll see how things progress later in the season and in terms of Blanca Voss she's one of the only two SC Works riders currently down for the provisional Giro Donna start list so that will be interesting to see how she does there with this win under her belt if the Giro in fact happens because that's another Twitter mm. <laughs> rumor going around that the Giro is in jeopardy the live coverage is definitely in jeopardy so that should make my daily podcasts on the the tour dailies on the Escape Collective feed a little bit more interesting if there's no live coverage. But <laughs> <laughs> we've got audio diaries lined up, so we'll at least know something about what's going on in the race. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I want to talk like a little bit about, or should we talk more about the, the Giro might be canceled? I don't know. It, it's not confirmed yet, although we still don't have like official route like maps or anything yet they just have the there's just like distances and and the towns that was kind of floating around but the race hasn't actually released stage stage routes yet so 
it's in like eight days. I think we could speculate, but I also just don't think it's worth talking about. I think literally the day of the stage one will be like, okay, this is what's happening. Cool. Yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good call. That's a good call. Yeah. You never really know with the Giro. It's always been no, like this. Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, the final 3K of the first stage was super chaotic. It was really, really technical. And I want to talk specifically about this move by Elisa Longo-Borghini because there was this corner, this left-hand corner that she took just really well and basically dropped everybody in the final I think it was 1.3 kilometers about with Orlando Sierra on her wheel and then SC Works was really quick to get on top of that as they always are you know but it was a it was an interesting move by Eliza and also great to see her back at the front of a race since she's been kind of out of action for a little bit yeah I think we definitely saw a good range of uh, technical abilities in this race. Uh, I didn't get to race in Switzerland much. I did a couple of like lower level one day races there and really loved it. I wish that we could have raced more. So it's cool to see some actual proper racing there, but the, you could just see the roads were not dangerous, but like quite narrow and twisting and turning. And you could just see that spread of abilities quite clearly in this race, but Watching uh, Lunga Borghini take that corner was like, especially in the finale, it was pretty exciting. And just to have that, like, will they, won't they in the last five minutes of the race, I like, it's just entertaining more than anything. But um, it's, for me, it's fun watching Elisa just race now a bit more on instinct and trusting herself, her abilities, her strengths, instead of second guessing herself like she used to in the past. I think that's also fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, Abby, it, she's coming into some really good form ahead of the presumably doing the Giro and the Tour, or at least one of those, I would assume. Um, but she had a great week, uh, fifth on that first stage, and then a really strong time trial, and then ended up um, third overall. So that bodes very nicely for the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, we'll see who Trek takes kind of as their leader for the Giro, because I think it's a race that's really dear to Elisa's heart. Obviously, Italian. Mm. Um, and she's been on the podium there before, but I think Guy Riolini is maybe their, their shot for the Giro and then Elisa for the tour, but they might do like an FDJ Suez move from last year where they took, um, Marta and Cecily Sile to the Giro and the tour and they like swapped roles at each or they were supposed to before Marta, um, was, was in that crash, but like. Celia worked for Marta at the Giro, and then Marta was working for her at the Tour. So they might do something like that with with the Italians on their team track, but we'll see. Stage two was a time trial, um, kind of hilarious. That it was a 25.7 kilometer long time trial. That was like just basically double the road stage the day before. I found that entertaining, but I mean that's a relatively like long-ish time trial 36 minutes Russo wanted in but it seemed long I guess given the day before and Russo took the win with Demi Vollering coming up second and Elisa Longoborghini in third um I think the best part of the entire day was not the racing but the shots of Demi and Marlon at the finish (laughs) (laughs) chatting (laughs) and like I don't know if they knew that the camera was on them with with volume as well um, with sound, but it was really <laughs> funny. 
What were they saying? I missed that part. Oh, <laughs> uh, they were just like chatting about how they, um, their power and like if they'd overdone it. Volering was saying that she was sitting at 360 watts for the whole time and she thought maybe she'd overdone it. And you're like, 360 watts for 25.7 <laughs> kilometers? Like, that's bonkers. And then there was one, the funniest, the funniest moment was the Swanee went to hand, um, them like a bag of baby wipes and Marlon Rooster was like we didn't do a caca <laughs> it was so good it was seriously so funny it was just like they they clearly had no idea that they were being filmed did she just do it in that real deadpan way that she gives interviews as well yeah totally it's like completely deadpan like yeah it was really a little bit confused and it was it was great. I think it was the highlight of the day. The, I mean, the time trials, I think, are super important to have. We don't get them very often. They might not be, like, the most fun thing to watch, but I like that there was a time trial in this race, even though it was only four stages, like, especially with the Tour de France having a time trial this year. It's, it's so important for the riders to have some kind of gauge of where they sit when it comes to time trialing. That's not just, like, the national championships that we'll get to later on, but this was a good race to have. And, and there were some surprising results. I mean, Brody Chapman finished fourth. So that's mm-hmm. like an incredible result from her coming back from a pretty horrendous injury. And she's on the list for the Giro. She will be doing audio diaries for us. So that's pretty exciting. And like Anna Kiesenhofer was sixth, the Olympic Olympic road race champ. So it was, it was a, a good race for gauging how people are riding in a time trial ahead of the tour. Yeah, I agree with that. That was something I was thinking as well when I was watching the time trial is that, yeah, A, I wish we had more time trials. I wish there was one time trial for every tour, um, even though they're they're not that good to watch per se. Like it's still such a big part of cycling and tour racing of like you have to be a, such a versatile rider to win GC and that includes being good in the time trial. And, yeah, B, it's good for prep for the Tour de France Femme of Zwift. I think that's going to be cool to have that addition this year for that race, to have a time trial in there so more opportunities to practice the better. And for sure you can train heaps on your TT bike, but there's nothing like having a day where you do the whole process of the mental prep, the warm-up, the doing it out on the road, pacing, and, like, Marlon, that comment was actually probably really helpful for her because she realised how hard she could go. Maybe she's at a new level, like, to see that the uh, such high numbers, like, holy shit, 360 for that long is a, a lot of watts. I'm just going to say that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and also Brody. I just want to make a point around Australian time trialing and in the past, probably pr- pretty much probably until now even, I'm not sure because I haven't been in the Aussie system for a few years now, but um, as a nation we haven't been very good in depth in time trialing and I'm really enjoying that Brody's just put her hand up and being like, I want to get better at this and I'm going to put the work in and she's managed to corral whoever she's needed to corral, probably people from her pro team and from the Aussie cycling system to give her that extra um, time and opportunity to hone that skill. And maybe she won't be a world beater, but obviously she's super talented. But ultimately time trialing is talent plus time and and practice because it is so specific and when I was racing, I was discouraged from doing time trialing. And I knew that I would never be a world beater, but I knew I could actually be quite good. And it was a 
just going to add be complimentary to my overall writing as well and even at times I wasn't even allowed to bring my time trial back to Australia over the summer to do nationals so um yeah I'm just enjoying that she's just she's such a genuine a genuine and enthusiastic person um if you know her at all but the way she comes across in interviews gives you a good idea of the kind of person she is and that she doesn't really care. She doesn't give a shit about what people think of her and she just wants to try stuff and have fun and work hard and you could really just see that this week. Uh, so, yeah, just props to Brody that she's just bossing it. <laughs> yeah, I really liked her comments on Instagram as well afterwards. So, obviously, this was a, a very strong performance for her, but the way she reflected on it was, uh, what did she say? Um, another step forward in my time trial quest. So it wasn't like, you know, this is the end of the road. This was, hey, this is a good step and now I'm going to keep going to the next thing. So, yeah, I think there's there's something in that for sure. And that's uh, it's inspiring to see somebody, like you say, Gracie, put their hand up, take on that challenge and, and want to better themselves. So good on her. Mm. I think also, like, I, I don't love social media all the time, but when it comes to following riders on social media and kind of seeing what they're doing in preparation for races, if you follow Brody, you saw she spent a ton of time on her time trail bike and was working a lot with, with Trek Segafredo um, after their altitude camp and before Swiss to make make the gains on the time trial bike and it's really cool to see that on on her social media like a bit of behind the scenes and then see a result come out of it um like it's cool to watch that story progress i i don't know if she's doing the tour so if we'll get to see her kind of at the tour stacked up against the best of the best but i would assume with this kind of result that she would be one of australia's picks for the world championship time trial i guess we'll see I hope so. She deserves to go. And sometimes selectors of those championship events go, we're only going to take people who are medal contenders. And I think that's just such a short-sighted way of seeing things. So I hope she can mm. get that opportunity to go and race. Yeah. Yeah. Olympics next year too. Mm. To bear in mind. Oh, man. I can't believe that it's already next year. It seems like it was just last year that we had the Olympics. <laughs> Um, all right, stage three was the stage that finally ended SC Works' 20-win streak. <laughs> mm. uh, it was a really aggressive stage. I think that it a lot of people who didn't watch it would have boiled it down to just a solo move by Erska Ziggart, but there was a ton of action going on behind her. And I think it was cool to watch because a lot of that... A lot of the attacks going on behind, it was a lot of uh, Kashini Wadoma spent a lot of time trying to get off the front and joining a breakaway that was in between the Peloton and Erska Ziggart. It was more just those attacks that kept the Peloton going that brought back the solo move than any work by one single team. Um, like, I don't think that SC Works particularly got on the front and did a ton of work to bring back Erska Ziggart. I think that they more were following the moves that were happening behind. There was a bunch of attacks from Team DSM as well. And in doing so, they were going faster than a solo rider out front. But it ended up that Eleonora Gasparini won the stage. Actually, she was third on the first stage. So it's another good result, obviously, like adding on to a good result she'd had already in the week and getting her first World Tour win is a huge deal. And it was it was a reduced bunch, like twenty five ish people, because it was a pretty hard stage. There was a lot of a lot of climbing in it. 
You kept saying Erska Ziggart there, um, uh, Abby, but I think you mean Tadej Pogacar's partner. No, that's the, the correct term. Um, <laughs> yeah. Gotta love Belgian media. Um, anyway, yeah, just uh, fascinating stage and heartbreaking to see her get caught so close to the line. Was it 100 meters to go? It's like Less 50 than that, meters. Maybe. It was real close. Yeah. Yeah. Real close. Just on oh, that, on just on that um, map, she made a funny post the other day, maybe yesterday or today, and it's like a video of today sitting in a chair, and she's like, this is today Pogacar, a.k.a. also known as my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, so good. There was, a, I think, Canadian, Canadian, Canadian media man. outlet. Yeah. yeah. They they published an article yesterday, I think, uh, talking about Pogacar, but referring to him as Zigart's boyfriend, which... I thought it was beautifully done. <laughs> nice. Oh, I mean, it was it was really like it's is it classic Belgian cycling media or Belgian media? I don't know, but it was really disappointing. <laughs> Just kind of like <laughs> I don't know, like a forehead slap situation. Um, yeah. But she had a great ride. I mean, I think she's been she's had a couple impressive performances throughout her career, and a lot of it has been on these like high mountain races and. The, the Tour de Suisse is not, like, at super high altitude, but it is up there. And I think for her, like, I'm, I wasn't surprised to see her have a good performance. And, again, on stage four, she was in a select group when it came, came down to, like, the pointy end of the race. And I think I would love to see her get a win eventually. She's been kind of knocking at the door a bit. She's, like, hovering in between that, like, top tier of riders and and the rest. She's one of those, like, mid mid-tier riders that you're like oh man just like one good day and you're making that jump i think she just showed us like she's actually strong we just don't see her that much as you're kind of saying and i think she said it as well in interviews like she's pretty um honest about that her skills aren't as good as they could be and she, it's something that she's working on her descending and cornering and stuff so no doubt she spends a lot of time at altitude with her boyfriend uh, and doing a lot of training with him um never but yeah i think before. that <laughs> some guy um Maybe. yeah i think that she's probably still got a lot to work on but she's she's got that strength there so I think she probably just lost those extra few seconds in the the descending and the technical aspect of that course that cost her right on the line. Yeah, and I said um, I said earlier that Sierra was second on the fourth stage. I meant the third stage. So she was second on on this stage behind Gasparini. Yeah, Gasparini just must have not got the memo that SD Works was supposed to win all all stages and overall. Um, so that's disappointing from her, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, really exciting rider. Like she's what twenty one. This is her first year in the World Tour. She comes out of the kind of talent factory at Valcar uh, last year. You know, Persico and Balsamo, a um, bunch of others as well. So, yeah, a good week for her, and uh, yeah, very keen to see where she goes in the next few years. I think she's not contracted with the team beyond this year. I think, but I could be wrong on that. Um, so, yeah, exciting one to watch for sure. Yeah, she's not. The, her contract is technically up at the end of this year. She was part of that um, UAE Team ADQ, like picked up a ton of the Valcar and travel and service riders. And she was part of that kind of group that went over to UAE Team ADQ. But I imagine that they'll want to hold on to her or she'll get picked up by another world tour team. I would be really surprised to not if she wasn't. Yeah. 
everyone wants gets wants to get their hands on that Valkar talent factory. Yeah, super impressive what they've been able to do over the last few years. Some some very very good riders coming out of there. Mm-hmm. Stage four was, I think, one of the best days of bike racing I've seen in quite some time. I would describe it as epic, even if that word is a little bit overused. Uh, Kasia Niwadoma and Neve Fisher-Black bridged to two other riders, but eventually left them behind. And Demi Vollering and Marlon Russo were, I guess, isolated. Can you call it isolated when SC Works only has two riders in the group, behind, in like the main peloton? Because usually they have eight even though they're only allowed six in the race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you could call that isolated. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bunch of attacks that kept going, and uh, Kasia was riding super hard out front. So Marlon Russa, instead of turning to Demi to do, well, Demi did a ton of work, and when it was clear that Trek Segafredo wasn't going to help her at, our, at all, Marlon Russa got off the front of that group solo on a descent. It was pretty cool to see. And then the maybe... I don't know. I feel like she, Kasia Niodoma has long been the best descender in the Peloton, but Marlon Rissa kind of put her hand up and was like, hey, I'm also quite good. Uh, she pulled back like 90 seconds on a descent and uh, she didn't catch Kasia and Neem Fisher, Neem Fisher Black, but it was pretty close. In the end, Neve Fisher Black sprinted for the win and Kasia was second and also didn't move up on the general classification, but I think it was really good to see Kasha out there for the second day in a row, we're like really going for it. Um, the big losers on the day were Truck Segafredo. They didn't really do much, and then they were caught out when when Marlon Russo went up the road, and they didn't have anyone follow that. So then they ended up doing a lot of work to try to get back into the game, and they did not. So I think any <laughs> any stage you've got where the overall leader is put into so much difficulty and their teammates aren't able to bring back the break and they feel compelled to go it alone with, what, 25, 30K to go, I think that's a pretty exciting stage. And Rusa did an amazing job to cut down that deficit enough to, to hold on to the lead. But, yeah, what a, a cool moment as spectators to, to see that, to see her take that gamble or to take it into her own hands, really, and, um, yeah, to roll the dice and, and, and go in that way. Yeah, for a minute there, Kasha Niwadoma was the virtual leader on the road, um, but it didn't last very long. There was hope, though, that she was going to take her first World Tour win since 2019 Amstel Gold Race. <laughs> yeah, I think like most cycling fans would have were willing her across the line first, but she just probably did a bit more work in that breakaway situation. <laughs> I mean, Neve didn't really have any reason to work, obviously. She had a, mm. the leader behind. And I think, yeah, she she did a great job. And I was really excited. I was torn. I was like, who do I want to win? Because I'm happy for both of these riders. Because it's Neve's first World Tour win. And she's headed to the Giro next. I think it was a huge confidence boost for her to get this win. And I'm really happy to see it. But Kasia is like the every every person's favorite <laughs> so uh for her to win would have been really really cool but i think she can still take a lot of confidence from her performance this week like stage three she was on the attack she's obviously got a really great relation with relationship with elise and they ride super well together and so i think going into the tour that Kasha's in a pretty good spot. Like she's, her form is coming, coming around and she's still got a couple weeks before that race 
happens. And so she'll be able to take this ride that she had on stage four, kind of take it home with her and ruminate on how she can get better, how she can beat SC works and kind of come back to the tour with, you know, new perspective. There's a good question from one of our listeners, Abby, that, that might be worth bringing up at this point about how Canyon Sram attacks the tour. Yep. One of the listeners asked, how could you, how would you set Canyon Sram team up for the Tour de France Femme of X-Swift? Would you pick Kasha for the GC? I think it's a super interesting question and one that Canyon Sram will be asking themselves. Obviously, Kasha has been on that team for a really long time and she is kind of their golden child. They've put a lot of resources and belief into her as a rider, but now they've got Chloe Dygart, and I think that they're with the time trial and her being a former time trial national champion and the time trial being the stage of this race that Kasia really lost a lot of time that took her out of contention for the general classification that I think that they're, they've got two really good possibilities and I'm curious to see like how, how that's going to work. Cause I think Chloe made a really good, uh, put, made a really good proposition. I don't know. <laughs> What's the argument. word I'm thinking of? Yeah. Chloe made a great argument for herself being their GC leader, uh, in her races this year, especially at the women's tour. So I think that it's, it's a hard question. What do you think, Gracie? Yeah, I think that's tough as well. I think they just have to, like, obviously the team knows a lot more than we know that we'll ever know just by watching races and going on social media. Um, someone might not be feeling up to it or there's something else at play. Uh, so it's tricky because uh, what do you need to do to prove your value as a leader? And, you know, like does such a great result that uh, Cassia got last year at the Tour then qualify her as the leader again this year or does it come down to this season and the results that they're getting now and I think that's really a tough one to weigh up because uh form form is sometimes elusive and it's like well who is going to be going good at that point of the year like you can kind of do everything right and then it still doesn't quite work out so I reckon they'll be having a bit of a split plan actually. So I'm trying not to sit on the fence on this, but I think that team might sit on the fence of that uh, dilemma and they'll have two leaders there, uh, two plan A's almost. Um, but as you've noted, I think that time trial is is very decisive and that definitely gives Daigat the upper hand there. But I'm not quite sure if she's up to being a GC contender. I think she's still more of a stage winner in my mind rather than someone to go for the overall, whereas Cassia, she's got that huge amount of experience in her legs and in her brain about what a stage race feels like, looks like, and how to execute that. So I don't know. I think I would still put her, I would put Cassia in that plan double A <laughs> rather than plan A in that team just because she's a little bit more reliable I guess. I think one thing to note is also how strong Cassia looked on the climbs on the final stage. There was whenever they they were on a climb she was still taking time out of Marlon Russo who was chasing solo behind and I think that that is a a good thing to to keep in mind because that might be where Chloe's struggles we'll see. I mean, 
I don't know. I think it's, I also, I also worry with the two plan approach. Like there are teams that can pull that off and there are teams that can't. Um, and I don't know if Kane and Stram, given the, uh, how much they kind of struggle with tactics that having two leaders is, is going to benefit them, or maybe that's exactly what they've needed all along. Um, I think it's going to be a really maybe team changing race for them in terms of like where the team goes in the future and how they race in the future. Yeah, they've, they've got some options. One more thing to uh, consider is what what is the biggest value that the team can get out of, especially the Tour de France farm of X Swift? It's like, is it stage wins or is it third on GC? Because probably like most likely all due respect that they, they can't win GC unless Vollering or Van Vluten don't finish the tour. So is a step on the podium worth more than stage wins? Um, so I guess as teams, you also have to assess what are we capable of and what is worth the most to us and our sponsors. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I wonder if there's a world in which Canyon Tram doesn't even try for GC or if that's like their plan C and they're more focused on the stage wins. And mm. maybe they try for the green jersey with Diget, for example, or they, yeah, that make that their main plan, but then they give uh Kasia a bit of a, a, a more free role she's not necessarily the leader and she can not have to worry about GC which will then allow her to save more energy for specific days where she might have a better chance of winning a stage for example or I'm not sure but they've got a lot of options and I think that'll be one of the the fascinating stories in the lead up and once the race gets started I think the only thing that we can say with complete clarity and no question at all is that Daggert is looking at that time trial and she's like that's mine yeah. <laughs> I'm looking um, forward to that for a time trial. There's going to be yeah. some good fights there between a handful oh, of riders. I can't wait to see her up against Marlon Rousseau at the time trial. I think, like, yeah, we're yeah. missing Van Dyke, but it's still going to be, like, such an incredible battle. Time trials aren't always boring. Like, no. that might... That might be like the best stage of the whole thing. Look at the men's Tour de France that one year when that one guy beat that other guy on the time trial the final day. That was exciting. When when Zigat's boyfriend beat yeah. the other guy, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, so in the end, Marlon Russo was able to hold on to the overall, the overall, the general classification. She was super excited. I think her interview after the race was, except that she was coughing quite a bit, but she did an incredible effort. And she was, she said that this was her biggest goal of the year and the team really got behind her to take it and that it meant a lot. And so, yeah, good to see. Demi Vollering second, Lisa Longaborghini third, again. She really likes third place. She sits there quite often. <laughs> <laughs> often behind two SD Works riders yeah. as well. Sad. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. Uh, Kashini Wadoma was only seven seconds off of getting herself onto the general classification podium. Oh, so close. Hope there's some fire in the belly. And, I, you know, I think it's good for, like, kind of back to the Canyon Stern question. I think it'll be really good for Kasha to have that inner team, to have someone in the team challenge her leadership. I think that maybe, you know, she's been the the out and out leader on the team for so long that it's 
maybe will add a little bit of fire, maybe like push her a little bit. Um, you can become complacent if you if you're in the same role for as long as she has been. I don't know if she is, but it is possible that a human could feel this way. <laughs> a little bit of other. Well, do we have anything else we want to say about Tour de Swiss? I think it was. I think it was a good race. Uh, my only problem with Tour de Swiss is that why is it a Monday Tuesday? Why? Why doesn't? Why don't they just start it on the Thursday? Is it to do with the men's race? Yeah, I think in so. Some way? But it's still annoying. <laughs> yeah. That's why we're coming yeah. to you so late this week. Because the race had to end before we could record a podcast. It's frustrating. Um, it's just not great for like viewer numbers, I imagine. Anyway, <laughs> National Championships Week is this week, and we've already had a couple time trials on the Wednesday. Really exciting results from the British National Championships and the Dutch National Championships. Rihanna Marcus beat Demi Vollering and Annemiek Van Vluten. She beat Demi Vollering by almost a minute, 55 seconds. And this is like the most exciting thing that has ever happened on the Dutch uh, Time for All National Championships. I feel like this is such a massive upset, but also like unsurprising if you've kind of watched Rihanna Marcus's progress over the last couple of years, but really, really exciting. And she said that this was her main goal for the season was the national championship time trial. And she's going to have a really hard time keeping the road race Jersey, but she's got the time trial. So pretty cool to see. That's yeah. Yeah. That's such a cool result. Um, we've talked to, we've sung her praises a bunch, you know, throughout this season about how much she's improved and how she's got the opportunities and she's really taken those opportunities. And, I mean, she's definitely had a great year, but I don't think anyone would have predicted she'd beat Vollering by almost a minute and Van Vluten by more than a minute. I think that's a, a remarkable result. And I'm not sure what her plan is now, if she's doing the Giro and the, or the Tour or doing both. But uh, yeah, that, that's that got to be good for, for Jumbo Visma coming into those races. Um, and yeah, more opportunities for her, surely. Yeah, massive. <laughs> Taking the words from Abby, massive upset. That was exactly what I was thinking. But it's like interesting when you break it down, definitely someone that we've been talking about on and off, good talent, really consistent. Um, but the fact that she uh, really targeted that race, I think shows how specific time trialing is, how much work you have to put into it, and also the, the lead up to it. So following as we've talked about, was just at the Tour of Swiss. So she had that bit of extra load in the legs. Maybe that affected her time trialing and maybe it wasn't a bigger priority for her. And Annemiek van Vluten just coming down from altitude only a day or two beforehand as well. So uh, I think uh, Annemiek would have liked to have taken the championship, but also I don't think it was a priority for her. I think she's got the bigger fish to fry this year. But the time gaps, like it is a remarkable result. So the comments I'm making are really to not ever take away from the big result. And I think for national championships, I think the, the blue ribbon event is the road race. And for many countries, almost every country, you know, like it's such a hard race to win. Um, but I think that a, the Dutch time trial is almost the harder race to win and, and not the road race, because I think road races sometimes come down to um, a bit of a, I don't even know how to explain this, but because the pro teams are coming with weird numbers, some pro teams only have one rider, whereas others are really stacked. I think it, some riders just don't get the opportunity to try and win the road race. It is quite difficult. Um, 
just from a tactics perspective, not from a physical perspective. So to win the Dutch time trial is pretty amazing, I think. Yeah, and um, in the UK, Lizzie Holden won the British time trial, which is a massive result for her and really awesome to see. I think she's a rider who's been really exciting for a long time, but had some team troubles moving around to smaller teams in Europe and kind of having a hard time jumping around a bit and she's found at UAE team ADQ she it looks like she's found a little bit of a of a safe spot to hang out and she's been riding well this season and and she took the British British national time trial she caught Anne Henderson at the finish line yeah super happy to see her take that win I think she's also been a really underrated rider for a couple of years now and maybe due to some circumstances as well hasn't been able to flourish but it's finally seeing her like stepping up to what she's capable of is really cool so I loved the photos that she's posted as well from um the Aussie photographer Zach he's awesome and just showing her raw emotion uh love I really love those photos of just emotion and disbelief at a finish especially your time trial because they're so smashed <laughs> uh, <laughs> the it's just like I feel it's hard to overstate how much it means to win a national title, to like be able to wear your flag on your back for an entire year. It means so much. And so for riders like for a rider like Lizzie Holden who's never had that title before an elite title before, it's a huge deal. And the time trial is always like a little bit more predictable. Then the road race, I mean, it's like, yeah, you can actually target it. The road race is just such a crapshoot. There's, I mean, it's a road race, so you have the regular, like, luck involved, but it's also just the Nationals is such a unique event. You can never really figure out what's going to happen. So, like last year, when Rihanna Marcus won the Dutch time, went, done the Dutch road race, I feel like that was... That was also an upset. That was a crazy. That was a crazy race. <laughs> Another upset in Luxembourg. Christine Mayerus lost the TT for the first time since 2007 to Sarah Tizit WNT's Nina Burton. That is amazing. That stat. <laughs> Let's just pay a little bit of homage to Majerus. I think she's also an underrated rider and like probably the super domestic if we had to name one she would probably win that i think if we had to nominate somebody she's just been there f for a very very long time and in that national champs kit <laughs> i think if she doesn't win the road race we won't be able to spot her in the peloton i know we're gonna, like, <laughs> it's gonna be so confusing interestingly though um while nina burton rode the fastest time Mayorosh is still the elite champion because Burton entered in the under 23 ranks. So I don't know exactly what that means for the jersey, um, but she's still apparently the elite champion, even though she had the second fastest time in the field. <laughs> I would feel weird about wild. wearing the jersey if if I was beat, even if it wasn't yeah. the same. Yeah. There's a great photo of her standing on the podium and she just looks like she does not want to be there, <laughs> which I can totally understand. <laughs> You've just been beaten and, yeah. yeah, strange one. For the first time since 2007, wild. <laughs> uh, 
Um, well, we've got tons more national championships coming up this weekend. So keep an eye on firstcycling.com for all of your results needs. And we'll talk about who wins what in the next episode next week. For now, I think we have enough time for one question. And then we'll talk about something that we're obsessed with. Because I actually remembered this time. <laughs> Given the state of cycling last week with the death of Gino Mater, um, one of the listeners asked, should say S-A-R-O-C, which is a new safety independent body that I'll, I'll talk about in a second, be able to affect change on, on rider safety? More pointedly, will they be able to get the UCI and race organizers to make effective change? Will other teams unify behind them? Um, so it was announced after the Tour de Suisse stage that SAROC, which stands for road safe road cycling in some form, uh, will launch before the Tour de France. And it's an independent body that's focused on rider safety. Uh, they're, they've collaborated with managers of a number of teams, including Patrick Lefavre of Quickstep Alpha Vinyl. Is that right? I don't know. I don't follow men's racing. Yambo Visma, <laughs> DSM, and Ineos Grenadiers. Um, only when your boyfriend's racing. Only when my boyfriend is racing. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> even then, he's about to be riding for like a new team, and I'm not going to understand for at least three months because uh, <laughs> Trek has it. No, we have to know because the women will also have new kits and a new name. So there you go. Um <laughs> They also have the support of La Partian, the UCI president, and Flanders Classics. Um, the project reportedly was kicked off after Jakobsen's Poland crash, and the role will be to advocate for and organize stricter and more consistent punishments for in-race accidents, as well as employ dedicated professionals to conduct inspections of race routes and safety measures well in advance of events taking place. It's important to note that it's not the first safety-related independent body to form and that the others were not successful. But in this day and age, are they going to have more success than previous forms? Um, I think this is an interesting question, especially ahead of the Giro Donna, which is maybe not the safest race ever on the calendar and after the women's Pyrenees race that was just canceled mid race due to safety concerns. Um, I think, I don't know if it's social media or, or what, but I would hope that because there's so much more attention now on rider safety in the last couple years that this independent body would be able to have some kind of, positive impact on cycling but it's also like i think we've talked in previous episodes about how cycling is so kind of stuck in the past that things like this don't always seem to end up being the most successful things i don't know gracie i'm curious what you think having been part of a union um yeah it's interesting i've i don't know enough about this particular group to pass too much comment but from what I can gather um like you said they're safety focused and that sets them apart from CPA and TCA in that they're very specific about their their aims and their mission and being an independent body is important because 
you're really trying to take away as much bias and influence as you can when you're doing research and reporting and consulting to the the parties that can then enact that change, which is the UCI. So that's why they are building that relationship with La Partiante. Arguably, you could say that this is the UCI's responsibility, but they would, you know, have a certain level of bias there that maybe wouldn't make uh, due process as uh, efficient or fair or whatever as it should be. So it is important to have some independent bodies there to just keep things honest and keep things transparent and ultimately writer-focused. Um, I would, yeah, it's... I'm not sure what their level of collaboration is with CPA or TCA, another thing that I can't comment on. So I hope that there is some collaboration there. And I think that um, going on to the next part of the question is, is there space for more than one union or representative body? And I think, yes, there is, because I think that you can be mind blank, you can be complementary of each other. Each group has its own strengths, its own network um, and its own relationships to riders. So some riders would prefer to be represented by TCA or CEPA or some riders don't really care about most of the things that those groups stand for. All they care about is rider safety and that's where you can catch that other group of people with this specific rider safety group. So Look, I'm not sure how this is going to come out in the wash, but ultimately anything that is rider-focused is a good thing as long as it's not too isolated in itself and it's not trying to reinvent the wheel because a lot of people have done a lot of good things both in CPA and TCA. So I think that there's already been some ground covered that doesn't need to be covered all over again. And if they can really work together, I think that could be a good thing moving forward. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Gracie. The only thing I'd add is that, and this doesn't really answer the question that the the listener asked, but I think it will just come down to that collaboration and what that looks like with the unions, with the UCI and with race organizers. It's obviously a good thing that there's a body set up to look after rider safety that's been, you know, it's been a long time coming. And as you said, Gracie, it should be the UCI that's doing it. But ultimately, it'll come down to what impact that group is able to have and what influence it's able to have on those who are in positions to make those decisions and um i guess the short answer is we just don't know yet we'll just have to see and hopefully hopefully they can steer things in a more positive direction i think also um it's important to note that a lot of the players in the game are men's cycling oriented and not so much on the women's side there's a couple teams that are involved that have both a men's and a women's team but um, the whole thing was really brought about by men's cycling. So I guess I'm just hopeful that this does also impact positively the women's peloton because it took the women a really long time to have um, like a women's branch of the CPA. And for example, um, so when it comes to the women's side, yeah, I think it's we know even less than than what they're going to do for the men's side. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's great a point. great point too in that uh, it can't just be about men's cycling. It has to kind of be uh, a blanket approach to cycling. And um, that was something that was really obvious to me when I was at the tour last year following the men's race for three weeks. Um, you see all the finishes. You see most of the course. 
Um, and then the following week being at the women's race, it was like that they, they got the, the B roads and the B finishes. And it was really strange to be like, well, sure, they're going a little bit slower, but they're still going way above the threshold of what is safe on these kind of roads. Um, there's potholes. There was road furniture within the last one, two, three K that you just wouldn't see at the finish of a men's tour stage finish. Uh, and then of course we had that big debacle a couple of weeks ago in the Pyrenees and it's just like well it's it's the same sport in that regard safety therefore needs to be the same the same measures need to be taken because even if it's a few k an hour sl slower in women's racing it's still high speed so it still requires the exact same safety measures there so I really hope that that is taken into account from day dot with this new push there because if it's a, an afterthought, then I think that could be really damaging to our sport. All right, let's let's wrap up the episode. We'll get to more questions next week and also preview, hopefully, the Giordana, fingers crossed, uh, that we have <laughs> <laughs> some information there. Um, I'll start. So I am currently in Latvia for the national championships. My my partner is racing the national championships. And so we came to Latvia for a little bit of a longer block because this week is the most important holiday in Latvia. It's called Ligua and it's centered around the summer solstice. So last night we went to the, I, th I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before or just, or maybe on a different podcast. <laughs> Listen to the album files. <laughs> oh, but um, <laughs> Latvia, like in in America, every kid plays soccer when they're little. Like every single one of them. I don't know if it's the same in Australia, but like there's like a bajillion kids soccer leagues, and you, that's just what you do. In Canada, it's hockey, um, and here it's dance. So you, every single kid in Latvia is part of a dance troupe. And last night at the local fishing museum, they had like an exhibition of all of the, the dance, uh, all the different ages in the dance school. So they had like tiny little kids and then like, you know, adults all dancing to Latvian folk, mu folk music, completely decked out in Latvian costumes, which are really cool. Uh, Tom's and I got married in, well, had one of our four weddings in in a latvian in traditional latvian <laughs> costumes and so it's really cool to see like all of these latvian costumes that are all based on different regions of latvia and and stuff like that and um tomorrow night is ligua so that means that there's going to be like a big bonfire we'll make shashliks which is basically just barbecue and you jump over the bonfire and then the whole thing is you stay up until the sun sets which i think is like 5 a.m. or so um and if you don't oh. stay up until the sun sets then you will get eaten by mosquitoes all year so <laughs> <laughs> you really want to stay up um so i'm obsessed with the latvian traditions around ligua um and today i will go to the meadow and we pick a bunch of flowers and make flower crowns lila will get her first flower crown like proper latvian oh. handmade flower crown and she had the time of her life watching the dancers last night oh my gosh she was twerking up a storm <laughs> and clapping like every time there's a lot of clapping involved in latvian dancing and so she was just like clapping like a crazy person and yelling because she was like so into it and she kept every time 
we put her on the ground. She kept trying to like crawl into the dancers. So <laughs> it was just like, I'm totally obsessed with this. And I'm, I'm just so excited to like be here for Ligua. And then the National Song and Dance Festival kicks off uh, next week, which is a huge deal in Latvia. Um, it only happens, I think, every four years. And it's like really incredible. I recommend Googling it and watching some of the dancing on YouTube because it's really cool. That's awesome. I love that. I'd love to experience that. I'm, I'm jealous of the flower crown too. That sounds fun. <laughs> Man, the flower crowns in Latvia are like something else. I mean, I got to wear one for two of our weddings and it was really, really cool. And, uh, and it was funny because the tradition is that once you've gotten married, so you have like a midnight ceremony at a Latvian wedding and it involves a bonfire and like throwing things into the fire and like symbolic things like that. And then you pass the flower crown on to the next bride. And I was like, you mean I have to give my flower crown away? No. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> I like insisted that there were two flower crowns made so that I could give well, Agrita, one of my friends, like the flower crown that was supposed to be mine, but I just didn't want to give it up. <laughs> and during the ceremony, our, um, our kind of like maid of honor person who was doing the, the ceremony, the Latvian ceremony part, she was like, normally if Abby was Latvian, she would pass on her flower crown, but she's refused. So <laughs> we have a second <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny yeah but they're really it's a it's a really fun tradition and there's a lot of like latvian traditions going on right now all around us so it's it's pretty cool that's nice nice too that you can introduce your little girl to some new family traditions as well that must be really special mm -hmm. it's pretty cool she's she's loving it it's so wholesome so <laughs> lovely uh matt what are you obsessed with Oh, I'm gonna really bring the mood down after that beautifully wholesome story you told, and like Matt this is, gonna is sound obsessed horribly sad. with Magic: The Gathering, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes, yes, it's true. Yep. Wait, really? So, yeah, I was. Yeah, I think I've got to bring it up. Yeah. Just to just to geek out for for twenty seconds. Uh, I, I for years I've played this game called Magic: The Gathering. Some of you've probably heard of it. Super nerdy collectible card game. Um, it's been around forever. I think more than thirty years now. Um, yeah, imagine Dungeons and Dragons in cards, basically. Super super nerdy. So much fun. I love it. Um, Abby, you're laughing. You used to play it. Don't. I know. don't uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, anyway. Just recently, um, the company that made this card game um, collaborated with the owners of Tolkien's estate to do a Lord of the Rings collaborative set. So basically, uh, an expansion of the game where all of the characters from Middle Earth are part of this game. And it's great. It's just really lovely and fun to see these characters that we know from you know, these legendary books uh, and films to to have them in card form and be able to play this game that, you know, a lot of us have played for a very long time and to, to be able to play with these characters and uh, unashamedly nerdy and uh, silly and all that, but also very fun. And uh, I went out to an event last weekend with a, a mate of mine who also plays and yeah, it was just a, a great fun evening of nerding out and um, playing some games and hanging out. So... Uh, that's what I'm obsessed with at the moment. Um, don't hate me too much. Oh, that's sweet. 
that's wholesome the art it is wholesome the and the art on these on these cards is like next level it is unbelievably just beautiful like the cards are so beautiful and the way that magic the gathering rolled them out was to have elijah wood like do some funny videos on their instagram and it's just (laughs) so much fun he's funny like he's a funny guy he is yeah Yeah. he's great (laughs) Are they making a, a Lord of the Rings TV show or am I just making that up? Well, they have one already. Oh, they have um, one. Okay. The Rings of Power. No Abby's favorite. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really want to like it, it. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the second season they like learn from their mistakes. Um, <laughs> I doubt it, but. I, I think that I did hear, though, that they're making another Lord of the Rings TV show that's not, that's, like, in, that's the Lord of the Rings. That's not, um, the Rings of Power is, like, history of cool. Middle-earth, like, pre, yeah. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's um, what I read. So, so I don't know, but it's a good time to be a lord of the rings fan that's for sure mm. it's always a good time oh, yeah. it's timeless that's so true <laughs> <laughs> uh i just the other day saw a map of um of new zealand with all the middle earth like where everything was um when they did the filming and i was like i must go to there it's i've always wanted to go and, I, and every time There's, i see it i'm just like you can go to hobbiton whatever oh, it's called i know that would be pretty yeah, fun. Go a, visit Rushley Buchanan and go to Hobbiton. It would be awesome. <laughs> there's a road atlas that I bought 15 years ago when I was 10, 15 years ago when I was driving around New Zealand. And it's just like a regular road atlas, you know, beautiful maps, whatever. But it has all of the filming locations for it spread out, like just in this, this atlas. So you can, you know, do your trip and then just happen to pop out to the Shire or pop out to Mount Doom if you feel like it or Amazing. whatever. I think it's really cool the way that New Zealanders embrace that. They like made it their own in a way. Oh, yeah. Like completely. Yeah. Gracie, what are you obsessed with? Oh, mine's pretty boring, actually. Because I am about to head over to Europe on the weekend to go to the Tour de France. I get to work again. And so I've just been obsessed with the tour and like what I'm packing and all that stuff. But also the Netflix documentary, which has actually been, I found really good. Like it's not like groundbreaking TV, but it's entertaining and I've gotten a lot out of it. It's great homework for me because I feel like I've already forgotten a lot of what happened only a year ago. Um, So I'm brushing up, I'm doing all my homework, not just my hair. And um, yeah, I thought like because I was on the ground last year, like I was remembering a lot of stuff as I was watching this and I, I realized how much, how many stories they couldn't tell and that they could only tell so many stories in eight episodes and the ones that they did pull out were quite good um they certainly built a bit of uh drama that may or may not have actually been there but overall it made for good tv and i really liked how they um also brought in the support players you know the the wives and girlfriends and they had some really nice stories about the ds's as well so i thought they struck a really great balance there for new fans old fans um and painting the picture of what it's like to be part of cycling and the Tour de France, not just as a rider, but as 
um, everyone in that circle of people. So I thought they did pretty well for only having eight episodes to work with. So that, that's been entertaining for me and it's got me excited because I get to be on the ground again. I get to be part of it all. And, um, it is, it's really cool. It's like, Sometimes I get a bit disillusioned with cycling and with sport, like a bit of that, what's the point? And then I get to see stuff like this and realize how many people it does impact. And actually, when I go on the um, Wheel Talk Discord, that also makes me feel good because I love reading through everyone's comments about how much you're into the sport and how much you want to talk about women's cycling and like that actually makes me feel so good that you care so much and it makes me excited again about this sport. So that's what I've been obsessed with. I, I'm always obsessed with our Discord, our Wheel Talk Discord crew. We have like a really good group of people over there. Yeah. I, I love that. I love it. It's like, it's wholesome, but it's like there's so many great opinions. Um, I learn stuff. <laughs> like they're really well-informed people that are genuinely interested in the sport. They're fans. And yeah, it's a great environment. I don't think I've ever read any bad um, comments. I think everyone's really respectful each of each other. So kudos. I'm really grateful for all of them and everyone who listens to this podcast. Really, I think that we've we've uh, acquired quite an awesome little fan base, and I couldn't have asked for a better I don't know job. <laughs> in in terms of uh, Unchained, I will say justice for Wout. Hashtag <laughs> for poor guy. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> I think it wasn't that bad, but I don't think it would feel good if you were him. So, <laughs> so Gracie, before before we end the episode, I just have one question: Are you going to do like an outfit of the day at the tour? Because that I loved that last year. <laughs> well, I've got some bad news. I'm not allowed to do as many outfits this year. So no. There won't be there won't be as many, but I'm still packing a few cool things. So I'll try my okay, best to get as many out there. As I, I I mean I guess I only have like seven days of outfits of the day, but I like have hopefully my suitcase fits in our car because I have an outfit of the day every day <laughs> and each outfit has shoes and I'm really excited about it because I don't get to dress up very often. Um, I have a one-year-old, and so I'm really excited to wear clothes that I am not afraid to get mango, pureed mango all over. <laughs> nice. I like, cannot I'm, wait. I'm excited to see your outfits of the day then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'll post, post them on the internet, but I'll send you pictures. Please, please. <laughs> okay, well, everyone, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. I don't know if we'll have you, Gracie, but... I'll text you. We'll figure it out. And we'll talk about the national championships. We will maybe get to more, some more questions. And all fingers crossed that we have some Giro to preview. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week.